Well, that was unexpected. It certainly highlights the fact that today's topic is lament, giving voice to sadness and disappointment with God, with life, with whatever. This is not the lament service. We have that tonight. But it highlights the fact that the topic and the theme is sadness and disappointment. And it also, of course, highlights the fact that that's not the way we typically start services. So that was from Psalm 88. The, uh, the, the, the chorus is actually a meditation from Psalm 43. But uh, normally we don't turn there in worship services very often. We have things that are a little bit more upbeat, and we're looking to offer more encouragement and some energy because life tends to beat us down. Now, for the record, the goal is not to encourage you when you show up. Okay? We, we, we'd rather encourage you than discourage you, but that's not what we're trying to do in, in any sense. I'm, I'm more open to that as an objective than I used to be. When I, was, um, when I was much younger, I, I sort of bristled against that. I, for some of you know, I was a management consultant for uh, about a decade, and I, um, I would do a lot of public speaking as part of that consulting practice, partly to get work and some corporate training and things. And I would get calls back inevitably, and people would say, hey, we want to hire you to come into our company because we need a motivational speaker. And I would always say, I'm, I'm not a motivational speaker. In part because Chris Farley had just done his Saturday Night Live thing, where I'm a motivational speaker that lives in a trailer down by the river. And so, yeah, I, I really wanted to not be the, the butt of all of these Chris Farley jokes forever. So I'm like, I'm not a motivational speaker. But also because I, I would argue in my consulting practice that the right hire in the right job, in the right management structure, in the right culture doesn't need a motivational speaker to come in. Um, but now I'm, you know, 25 years past that and a lot of management experience, and I'm sympathetic to the fact that a lot of times management can't fix problems. They're managing tensions, and life beats people down, and there's some need for encouragement. And so I'm not against that. Um, all of that said, it's not what we set out to do on a Sunday morning. You are not an audience that we're trying to inspire you are a congregation that comes together for a worship service. And so in the tradition of the last 2,000 years, based on what we read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, we gather together uh, for worship, for prayer, for the sacraments, as we'll celebrate in a little while. We gather together also uh, for instructions in the teachings from the apostles. And so uh, we, we don't set out to inspire you you are a congregation. The audience is not you. The audience is God. We worship. It's also obvious that that's the way we think about things when we come to a passage like today, when we come to a lament psalm, where we are being coached and directed to lean into our sadness. So let me take a half step back and just frame this. Uh, we're in a series of, of studying the Psalms. Uh, there are 150 Psalms in the middle of the old, uh, the middle of the Bible. It's one of the larger books in the, in the whole Scripture. Uh, most of these 150 chapters are prayers. 
Some of them are meditations where we're being instructed how to talk to ourselves. Most of them are prayers being in, instructing us and giving us words to pray to God. These prayers break out in a handful of ways. Some are prayers of worship. Some are prayers of thanksgiving. Some are prayers uh, of uh, royal prayers or wisdom prayers. And, and a big part of them, about a third of them, are what we call prayers of lament. And they are prayers of sadness. And they are prayers of disappointment. And, and these prayers, these psalms, generally start with the word how or why. How long am I going to have to wait before you answer my prayer? How long are you going to let me suffer? Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you acting like the God you claim to be? That's the way these psalms start. They, they, they surprise people by how raw the words are, but they shouldn't uh, because uh, there are other sections of Scripture that give voice to lament. For instance, <laughs> there's a book called Lamentations, which is one long lament. And it was written by Jeremiah, uh, the prophet, and it was written after the fall of, of uh, Jerusalem. So Old Testament starts, you know, we, Genesis 12, we get, we get Abraham, and we watch Abraham family become a tribe and then become 12 tribes and grow and become a nation and it keeps growing and gaining power and it reaches its zenith under David and Solomon and then it falls way down when it divides the divided kingdom and so 10 tribes uh, it divides into 10 tribes of Israel and two tribes of Judah and the 10 tribes of Israel get overrun in 720 by the Assyrians and we don't hear from them again but there's remaining two tribes of Judah, and they have Jerusalem, and they're going on for a while, and then they fall. They're overrun. 586, the Babylonians come in and crush them and destroy, destroy Jerusalem and destroy the temple and kill lots of people and march everybody off into captivity in Babylon. And it's the, it's the destruction, right? They, they thought, yes, we're God's people. It's getting better. It's getting bigger. We got more power. This is the promise. And then all of a sudden it falls, and then it falls to nothing. And Jeremiah is lamenting. Oh my goodness, oh, this is, I'm, I'm broken, I'm despondent. So we have this. Additionally, we not just have a book called Lamentations. Our Savior, the perfect person, is described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. <laughs> right, so it shouldn't surprise us that, that there are prayers given to us in the prayer book, songs given to us in the, the Jewish songbook that express our sadness and disappointment and confusion and frustration. And by the way, it also shouldn't surprise us if we're just looking around and paying attention to life. Because sometimes the right response to life is sadness and disappointment and confusion and frustration. I, I don't know about you. I've had a sad week. The weather's nice today. I, although, you know, we've sort of been beaten down to where we go 60 and sunny in June. I, I'll take it. It's good. You know, I, I'm not talking about the weather. I'm not talking about the Cubs falling out of first place. I, I'm just saying globally, nationally, statewide, there's things that I look at that just like really, wow, does that make me sad. 
the Virginia shootings, Virginia Beach, another 12 people killed. Like, wow, that really, think of the pain. There's, there's, there's people around me that have made decisions that are just causing lots of pain for lots of people. And we had a prayer meeting this morning, gathering around uh, early this morning with elders and some others around a young family that's in a lot of pain and a lot of frustration on health issues. And there's a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons where um, we can be sad, where it was sort of expected that we would be sad. And so God gives us prayers to pray that articulate that sadness. And we have one today, Psalm 88. It's one, of the, it's one of the saddest of the sad psalms. So I'm going to read it this for you. You want to turn there, Psalm 88. It was written by a man named Heman, the Ezraite. He's sort of Job-like in that everything goes wrong for him. He is despondent, he is frustrated, and he's mad at God because he keeps trying and God is not showing up. So, verse 1. Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Listen. (laughs) Incline your ear to my cry. So, you start to hear the anguish and the frustration. Um, You're about to hear blame. Verse 3. My soul is full of troubles. My life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those who were remembered no more. They're cut off from the land. He's, just, he's describing how bad things are. There was a kid's book came out in the 70s by Judith Bjorst called Alexander and the Horrible, Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. All right, so... Heman is, is giving voice to just that same thing. He is having a horrible, terrible, no good, very bad life. And he's not happy about it. And uh, here comes the blame. Verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Uh, Selah and by the way, Selah is a word that we don't know how to translate, so it just shows up in the Hebrew form. Um, lots of doctoral dissertations have been written by people trying to answer the riddle. We, we suspect that perhaps it is a uh, coaching to the musicians to play this again or to be loud to emphasize this point. We don't know, but it, it, it shows up. Um, reading on. You have, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. So you hear the heartache. And, and more than that, you hear the discouragement with God. Like he's blaming God. You have done this to me. You are not coming through and answering my prayers. He's very frustrated. Now, I want to note that he continues to pray to God. There are some people, when they get in this situation, they say, well, there is no God. Uh, if, if there was a God, these, these things wouldn't be happening to me. And I, I'm not going to go philosophical uh, at this moment other than to say the problem of evil is a problem for everyone. Okay, And, and I don't just mean that we all suffer the effects of evil and brokenness in a, in a fallen world. That's true. I mean, uh, atheists, sort of strident atheists, will say, look at all the bad things that are happening. 
If God was all loving and God was powerful, these things wouldn't happen. And, but, but the fact is, if we're going to go philosophical, you could say, well, how do you know those things are bad? Like, if there's no, if there's no standard of good, if there's no objective, then why are those things bad? Why, why, why do you, but, but you know they're bad. And this is part of what, what, what Christians would say. Yes, we were born in the image of God. We were born for a garden that worked. We were born with, with God writing his rules on our heart. There's a sense of right and wrong and good and bad. And, and you know that. And that's because there is a God. So, so Heman doesn't walk away from God. But he's blaming God. Verse 9, every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do, your wor- do uh, you work wonders for the dead? Do, you depart- do the departed rise up to praise you? So he's sort of making an argument here saying, I'm acknowledging you. I'm calling to you. I'm praising you. I'm an opportunity for you. <laughs> like, you need me. It's not, it's not a good argument, but he's sort of making the argument. Um, look, if you, if, you, if you let me die, I'm not going to be able to praise you, and you sort of want me to praise you. And God doesn't need us to praise him. It's not a good argument. But, but he's saying, hey, I'm trying here. Reading on, is, is your steadfast love declared in the grave? This is more of the same argument. Like, if I die, am I going to be able to say to people how good you are? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your righteousness in the land of the forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning my prayer comes before you. I'm a good guy, you should answer my prayer. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. And in Hebrew, it, this, this psalm ends with the word darkness. This is unique, and I, I said it's sort of the darkest of the, of, the, of the lament psalms. There are imprecatory psalms, which are a little bit darker, but this is sort of the darkest of the lament psalms in that it doesn't turn. Most of the, of the psalms will always, you will see the psalmist sort of process their sadness and move forward and, and, you know, but I've looked at you now and I'm turning in the corner and I get that, you know, that, that I have eternal life and that you love me and, and they move forward. This one doesn't. Um, so I picked it because it, it sets up lament. Now, here's the question. Well, there's a question before the question. I guess the, the, the question before the question is, would you buy this psalm on iTunes if it was available? Right? Uh, yeah, like you want to play I, Maybe I had a fraternity brother that every time a girl broke up with him, he would move speakers out into the hallway. He had this big sound system, and he'd blast these sad songs. And you could know, oh, yeah, so-and-so broke up with Tim. I, I can tell by, by the songs that he's playing. And he loved those sad songs, uh, mostly Commodores, uh, when, when, uh, when sad things were happening. So there are times when you want a sad song to sort of uh, give voice to the sadness. But the, the bigger question is, why is this psalm here? <clears throat> and I want to suggest there are a handful of things that you need to, to, to learn from this. 
First of all, we need to understand that it is okay to express our disappointment with God to God. It is okay to express our disappointment with God to God. In fact, God gives us the words to use to express disappointment about the job he's doing to him. Think about that. And these words are not vanilla, right? There, there's a lot of rage here. This is more, there's more anger here than I would be comfortable using when I am frustrated with God. And part of that's because I don't like drama. I, I don't like that, those kind of emotions. Some of that, I'm sure, is personality. Some of that is, is I, I, uh, I, I went through a religious phase briefly where I tried to be good enough to earn God's favor. And, and when you are trying to be religious, you have to kill all the bad emotions that you have. Like, I can't think that. That's not a thought honoring to God. I can't, I can't say to God, hey, little help here would be nice. Uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't be that way because I want him to think I'm good. And so you sort of squelch uh, those uh, emotions. And then part of it's just, it's just um, growing up in the family that I grew up in. And the family that I grew up in didn't really do disappointment. Um, disappointment... It was. I grew up in a great family. Uh, I, I don't want to suggest otherwise. But um, the message, if you were disappointed with something, was try harder. I mean, like, you didn't win. So if you won, you wouldn't be disappointed. So you didn't win. So the, me- the, the lesson here is try harder. Don't, don't lose again because... You shouldn't be disappointed. You don't like being disappointed. So don't be disappointed. And the way not to be disappointed is to win. Now, don't cheat to win. And don't, and be humble in winning. But understand, you got to win. And yes, life isn't fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. So just realize you got to work all that much harder. But win. And so disappointment wasn't something that got affirmed. You couldn't sort of voice it and say, I'm just sad. You had to try harder. And so um, uh, that was the message I got. And the message of this psalm is, no, it's okay to be disappointed. (laughs) And as a matter of fact, God knows you're disappointed. So remember this. When you decide to give voice to your disappointment with God, that's not new news to God. It's only new news to you. (laughs) God knows God knows your heart. So the question is not, can God handle the truth? The question is, can you handle the truth? Can you voice this and bring this before him? And this psalm suggests that it is okay to express our disappointment with God to God. On a related point, I would say it is okay to be sad. This is sort of close to number one. Um, but it's, it's worth noting religious people tend to, uh, tend to suppress negative emotions, as I've said. Secular people, interestingly, sort of can deify emotions. Whatever I feel is true about me, and I need to, I need to lean into that. What we're getting here is a third way, a third gospel way, and that is to pray through our emotions. 
It's not to deny them. It's not to simply defer to them. It's to bring them before God, bring them before ourselves, and to bring them before God. And sadness is okay. Um, so, in fact, I would say sadness is sometimes the right response. Not being sad just to be sad. But there are things that should make us sad. And, and by the way, note that there are psalms that are telling us to be joyful. There are psalms that are telling us to count our blessings. Right? There are psalms that are, that are instructing us to think differently in the opposite direction. But there are psalms that acknowledge that it is okay to be sad. And so, um, briefly, back to my family. In my family, to be sad was to be weak. If you're sad, you're weak. So don't be weak. And I learned early on, no weakness. So I, I remember in college, one of my roommates said to me, um, you know, I don't think I've ever seen you cry. And I said, I don't cry. He goes, well, when's the last time you cried? And I go, when I was 10? I don't know. I don't cry. He goes, you haven't cried since you were 10? I said, no. He goes, I wouldn't tell many people that. I was like, really? Because I just thought, no, when you, when, you, when, you, when you become a man, you don't cry. And it took me a while to sort of process that and then to say, oh, this is a problem. And then it took me a couple of years to sort of process that and to say, I have got to keep digging deeper to get in touch with the things that should make me sad and to be sad when I should be sad. Like that's, that's part of what it means to be a man, not that I don't feel, that I don't cry. So this psalm is saying, look, sometimes sadness is the right response. And it's okay to bring your sadness before God. And so at Christ Church, we try to make sure you know in certain situations it's okay to be sad. So not only are there grief groups and things like that when you've gone through a major thing to help you understand and process grief, but we occasionally have services. You may have been invited. You may not have been invited. It's sort of these are smaller events sometimes where we say, okay, Christmas is coming up, and we know you lost your spouse this year. We know you lost a child this year. We know what, whatever has happened. And this isn't going to be a happy Christmas. Like, this is going to be a sad Christmas. You're going to go, oh, my goodness, this is, the first, this is the first Christmas I've had to go through without whatever. So we're going to have a small gathering for you. And other people who are going to be sad are going to be there. And we can be sad together. And there's joy here as well. We're not going to let you simply stay sad. But we're going to not tell you how to be happy. Right? And... One of the things that I frequently will say to people who have lost um, a loved one, who is a Christ follower, is I'll say, look, um, you're hearing inevitably from people, well-meaning people. They're saying to you, it's better for your, again, your husband, your spouse, your kid, your parent, whatever. It's better for them. You should be happy for them. I said, okay, so here's... Here's a different way to think about this. Acts 8.2 says, Righteous men buried Stephen and wept. So Stephen is the church's first martyr. Very famously, he preaches a big message. And, and, 
and uh, is being stoned for proclaiming the gospel, and he asks God to forgive the people. That sort of reiterates the same words that Christ is going to say on the cross, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And he reports that he sees heaven open, and Jesus is standing at the right hand of God the Father. So this is a, this is a valiant moment. This is a good moment. Because Christ has seated at the right hand of God the Father. When priests finished their work, they sat down, but Jesus has stood up to welcome Stephen to heaven. It's great for Stephen. And yet they say, righteous men, so these are, these are believing people as well. Righteous men buried Stephen and wept. Are they weeping for Stephen? No. It's better for Stephen. Yes, it's better for Stephen. That they're weeping for themselves. They have lost Stephen. And make no mistake, there's no reason for them to be happy about this. And so we want to say, sometimes tears are the right response, the right emotion. And um, the third thing I want to say is, because our culture and churches today largely don't know how to lament, you probably have to work on it. Maybe not. But our culture doesn't know how to lament. Our culture doesn't know how to help people process anger and disappointment very well. And, and our churches sort of don't generally do that very well. Most of the songs today, and it's not just today, it's not just that, you know, we sing how great and indescribable and all of that. You know, back up 30 years ago, it was Victory in Jesus and other things. And if you, if you study hymnals, there's, you know, a whole field of studying hymnals. You find out that for the last 200 years, the hymnals generally leave out most of the lament psalms. They don't want to do it. People don't want to sing those things in minor keys. You know, they don't want chants. It's not often that people want that. And so that's been left out. Um, so we, we, we don't always learn how to do that, but we have some help doing that. So the psalms are part of that. And, and the psalms... So the psalms work best when they become as well-known as the national anthem, right? But, but if you don't know what you got, then you sort of don't know how to work your way forward. Think of the psalms a little bit like a Swiss Army knife. There's a lot of different blades in there. And you need the right blade for the right task. And you need to know the knife well enough to know what blade you need for this task. And so uh, the last couple of years, I, and I, I you know, regret that I didn't do this, start this 30 years ago. The last couple of years, I try and read the Psalms every day. And just read a little bit of the Psalms to be more and more familiar with the Psalms so that I, I, I'm, I'm better versed in what's going on. Can remember... You could memorize some psalms. Talking with a guy a little while ago who had memorized two entire movies, every line. Napoleon Dynamite and Caddyshack. (laughs) And first I sort of like, you didn't memorize everything. And so I'd throw out a line and he'd start and he just would go. And I was like, this is both remarkably impressive and very discouraging. Like, Yes, you have memorized two movies. And I bet you're the life of the party because those are funny movies. But really? I mean, that's what you're storing in your hard drive is Caddyshack and Napoleon Dynamite? You know, you could do better than that. 
You could help yourself by storing up God's word. So the Psalms are a gift to that end. Uh, another way you can learn to lament, come to the lament service. Right? We're, we're setting up a service which is intentionally more somber and sad. It's not designed to be something other than that. So the last thing I'll say as we prepare to go to communion is you know God better, or you could, than Heman who wrote Psalm 88. Because we're on the other side of the cross. And so when we come to a psalm like this, we need, to, we need to view God and God's response to our pain and discouragement through the cross of Christ. The Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, does a great job of, of saying God is, is a friend of the poor. If you, if, you, if you diss the poor, right, you're dissing God. He is the father to the widow. He is the, he, or excuse me, he's the husband to the widow. He's the father to the, to the orphan. And so there is, there is an identity that we see with God in, in the suffering. And we see this in the Old Testament. We really see it in the New Testament. Right? When God shows up, not as a general, not as a king, as a carpenter who suffers, right? who, who comes alongside and identifies with our pain. We, we serve a God, we have a high priest who knows the struggles and the pain and the frustration and the loss. And and so we, uh, we need to remind ourselves, even in the midst of that disappointment, while we can't answer all the questions about how long, God, when are you going to finally do this? When are you going to open up? When are you going to answer my prayers? Why am I suffering like this? We can't always answer all those questions, but we can look and say, this is a God who did not withhold his son from me, right? who has given me everything that I need, and who promises that one day every tear will be wiped away, Right? Every, everything bad will be made untrue, to quote uh, Tolkien in Lord of the Rings. Right? Every, every bad thing will be made untrue. God is in charge of this. And, and we should look at these lament psalms and lean into them and process our grief. But we come out the other side because we know about Christ. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, the raw power of your word. We thank you for the uh, giving voice to our deep discouragements and confusion and frustration, that you've given us prayers to pray that, that articulate our heart and guide us. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that you have not um, left us in our pain and frustration, but that you have showed up. So I pray. Father, I know there are people here today in deep lament, frustrated, sorrowful, angry, confused. Lord God, uh, may they find in your strong shoulders and in, even in this time of communion, may they find evidence of your, of your safety and your love that they can vent and they can uh, process this grief and do it in the backdrop, against the backdrop of of an empty tomb, of a cross, uh, of the victory of Christ. We pray this in his name.